whom he may devour. Resist him, Peter says. James, or Yaakov, or Jacob, as his name actually is called, says resist the evil one and he will flee. Certainly we are to use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to battle the enemy. If there is no greater example of this, it is Messiah Himself. It is written. It is written. It is written. That's how we battle the evil one. Evil spirits are present. They will seek to thwart what God is doing in our midst and in our lives. He will particularly target Beth Ariel simply because our heart and soul desires that our people, the Jewish people, hear the good news. And our heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved, like Paul says in Romans 10. But it is the evil one's desire to destroy God's people whom he has chosen. And thus we need to be aware that there are spirits at work that we need to resist and that we need to be aware of. In Zechariah chapter 3, it's very interesting that there is Joshua, the high priest, standing before the Lord. And he is in these filthy garments representing the sin of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. And on one side of him is Satan. And he's accusing Joshua, in effect, accusing Israel of not being worthy of being God's chosen people. Of not being worthy of being honored by God's uh, by the Lord Himself, and it is Messiah who stands up on His right side as His advocate, as His defense attorney, and He says to the Lord that essentially He stands up for them, and He imputes His righteousness. To Joshua, And he tells the angels that are assembled around, take off the filthy garments in which Joshua is robed and put on clean garments re- representing their forgiveness of sin and their righteous standing before God. That day will one day come. As Paul says, all Israel shall be saved when the deliverer shall come from Zion and turn away all ungodliness from Jacob. The imagery of that, Zechariah had in chapter 3. But there's a battle at work, and we need to be aware. Now, while I say there's a battle occurring that we need to be aware, we also need to be aware that Satan is not the counterpoint to the Lord. Sometimes people think there's the Lord and the opposite of him is Satan. That is not true. The Lord has no counterpoint. There is no one who is contrary in terms of equality to him. I am the Lord and there is no other like me or in any way relevant or how should I say in relation to me. If anyone is in comparison to Satan, it is Michael or the angels, but it is not God. God stands apart as the creator of all things. And one of those things is the one who rebelled against him. Who was honored as being the greatest reflection of God's glory. But in his pride, he rebelled. God alone is all powerful. And therefore, his will 
is accomplished. Satan can only do what God permits. So in the book of Job, Satan comes before the Lord and he says, if Job was not so blessed, he would curse you to your face. And God says, no, he wouldn't. And you can do what you want to him, except you cannot take his life. God is all powerful and Satan cannot do other than what God permits him to do. Only God is everywhere at the same time. It is only the Lord who is omnipresent so that Yeshua can say, wherever, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. But that's not true of Satan. In the book of Job, it says that Satan was going to and fro over the whole earth. When he is to, he is not fro, and when he is fro, he is not to. He is not omnipresent. He has enough emissaries, enough angels that have rebelled against God to do his bidding, but he can't be everywhere at the same time. But they obey him at least to some degree. In that, with that thought, it occurred to me how infrequently the scripture reveals Satan in conflict with given individuals. Did you know that there's only seven places where Satan is actually encountering individuals? The first is Eve in the form of a serpent, but not Adam. It's only Eve. Another account that comes to mind was David when he went to number the people of Israel. It says Satan tempted him to do that. It's a second encounter. Yeshua is the third where the enemy encounters him directly. So let's see, that's three. Just trying to count here. I don't know if I remember them all. Peter is a fourth. Get behind me, Satan. Yeshua says to Peter when he says, oh, far be it from you, you should go to the cross. Judas is another one. It says Judas filled his heart to betray the master. I'm missing two. Missing two. But there's only, there's only two, two other ones. Well, there's only two that, I, two that I can't think of right this moment. But I tell you, I had it down, you know, as I went through it. Joe, need a lectern with some notes. But that, you know, that, then I feel constricted, you know. Then I have it all together, and I'm just not one who has it all together. It would be dishonest. Perhaps, well, he's not countering Joe, but in any case... There's two more. (laughs) But the reason I mention that is because how many people have you known who've said, Satan is after me, Satan is after me, Satan is after me. And there's only seven in the scripture. And think of those seven. They're fairly significant in the moments in which the evil one attacks them. So I would be cautious and skeptical if indeed that was the case. Now, I do not deny that evil spirits might be at at work in given individuals' lives. But let's just be honest. I don't really think we are all, I'll speak for myself, I don't think I am all that important that Satan is going to waste his time with me. He'll send one of his more minor demons to do something with me because I'm just easy prey. But here, we've got these angels battling. 
And then when you look in Revelation chapter 12, oh, that, that's a sixth, where Michael himself encounters the dragon that he casts to the earth in defense of his people Israel. And we see that behind the scenes, and that's my whole point in all this, is that there are enemies at work, and there are those who are aligned with us that are at work as well. And so as I think about where God is leading Beth Ariel and where he has led us from, we ought not to be ignorant of the powers that are at work and the concern that they have with a ministry like ours that is directly directed and geared toward seeing that God's chosen people would know life eternal through the knowledge of Messiah. So let me just conclude with these final words from Paul. Because the way we are to battle the enemy is outlined for us in, a, in the book of Ephesians. And in chapter 6, he says in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. So it's a good thing to remember that we stand by the grace of God. And it's in his power and in his might. And therefore, being connected to him is so critical for the war that we are involved in. We need to be a praying people. We need to be a studying of God's word people. We need to be a people that are avoiding those sins that will easily beset us those sins that will cause consternation and disruption in our body, that the evil one and his emissaries would desire to take advantage of. We need to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. How do we do that? He tells us that we are to put on the armor of God. Notice it is God's armor that is to be placed upon us. And why is that? So that we can stand against the devil's schemes, his intentions to lure us into sin, to lure us into disobedience, to lure us away from our calling and our vision and what God has in store for us. So this is what we do. He tells us our struggle ultimately is not against one another. And so hard to keep in perspective. Our struggle, when those struggles occur, ultimately is not against flesh and blood. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are the children of God. Doesn't mean we don't have disagreements. Doesn't mean we don't have challenges. But keep in mind, the war that is being waged is something we rarely see. We oftentimes see each other as the enemy, but we are not. It is the evil one behind all these things who is ultimately, ultimately the one who is our enemy and our foe. And so he says, our struggle is not flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
It's amazing to think. It really is. And that's why we have to be so careful how we deal with one another. So in verse 13, therefore put on, this is the second time he told us, verse 11, now 13, put on the full armor of God so that when these days of trial comes, days of temptation come, days of evil, whatever it might be that would draw us away from the Lord and the things of the Lord and the kind of character God would have us begin to develop. He says, put on the whole armor of God that we would be able to stand our ground. And this is how we are to stand firm as children of God. We put on the belt of truth buckled around our waist. Of course, what he's talking about is the truthfulness of God's word. And that which stands for the integrity of God's character. We need to be buckled with it. It needs to be that which constrains us, guides us, envelops us, and holds us all together. He tells us not only this belt of truth, but he says this breastplate of righteousness, protecting our hearts, that our hearts would be a place of righteousness. Because what comes out of a man's heart is what defines him as an individual. It's not what goes into us that defiles us, Yeshua said. It's what comes out from us. And so what comes out from us ultimately comes from our innermost being, our heart. And righteousness is to characterize who we are. And thus, the breastplate of righteousness is to protect our hearts that it might be a heart of righteousness. He tells us, And with our feet, they are to be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel, the good news of peace. We're ready to go and proclaim the word. Our feet are to take us places and to enable us to encounter individuals with whom we would provide the message of peace. And then he tells us, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith which can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Notice that's the only defensive weapon we are given, the shield of faith. Everything else is meant to be, uh, to, to enable us to be on the offensive, to move forward. And then he says, and the helmet of salvation to protect our minds that we might think the things of God. And then he says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we need to know God's Word and implement it in our lives. And then he concludes by saying, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the believers. As we embark on 2013, as we see what God has in store for us, we need to be vigilant about where the battle is to be waged and with whom and how it is to be waged. And we need to realize there is a spiritual battle, a war 
going on. And therefore, we must be circumspect about the weaponry we employ. And it is explained to us here. If a mighty angel, fallen angel, was dispatched from keeping Daniel from hearing a vision and understanding it, and consequently, our lacking it as well. How much more so will the evil one be at work in keeping us from proclaiming Messiah, the revelation of whom is now complete? How much more so will he be about keeping us from the task that we have been given? When Yeshua said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all things I have taught you. We certainly ought to expect that we will be targeted for doing such things. But that is our calling. And this is the weaponry we are to employ to accomplish that task. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word to us this day. Help us, Lord, to wage this war rightly. May we always remember who the enemy is. May we always utilize the weaponry you have entrusted to us. May we not neglect not only the privilege, but the necessity of prayer in behalf of one another and behalf of the peoples of the world that they might be open to hearing your message and receiving it as the truth. And so, Lord, may your blessings rest on Beth Ariel, on our congregation. And may your power be unleashed within each and every one of us and through us as a body that we might make a significant difference not only in others' lives, but in this great city at large. Help us to do this, we pray. For we ask in Messiah Yeshua's name. Amen.